0: Hey, everybody. I'm Joe Chickarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 70. Today's guest is Dr. Bashar Hanna. Dr. Bashar Hanna is the president of Commonwealth University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Hanna and I have a far-ranging discussion. We cover everything from, is a college degree still worth the investment? We talk about America's student loan epidemic. What it was like coming over at 10 years old from Damascus, Syria, without speaking the language and thrown into a new country, and why a person cannot lead without kindness. I was so excited to get Bashar Hana on the podcast. In 2017, he was named president of my alma mater, Bloomsburg University. It's a fun and insightful conversation, and I hope you enjoy. So, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button or share this episode with someone you think that would benefit. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. Bashar Hana, president of Commonwealth University of Pennsylvania. And remember, life is built, not born. Dr. Bashar Hana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Look forward to it. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. It's an honor to have you. Dr. Hanna, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do?
1: As you mentioned, I'm Bashar Hanna, and I am currently the president of Commonwealth University of Pennsylvania, which includes Bloomsburg University, Lockhaven University, and Mansfield University. We are now operating as one university with three locations.
0: I definitely want to talk a little bit about Bloomsburg near and dear to my heart. Just one of my favorite places on the planet. Also too, want to talk about the integration, what how Bloomsburg, Lockhaven, and Mansfield come together to form Commonwealth University. Want to see what that's all about. Also too, I'd like to have a bigger scope conversation of just like the cost of college, maybe the value of a state's school? Comparing that to an expensive private college, is private college worth it? College debt, that big conversation that the nation's having, is it worth taking $100,000 out to go to college? We could maybe go there. But before we do that, I'd like to start back all the way from the
1: beginning. Where did you grow up? Uh, Joe, that's a really interesting question for somebody like me. I am a proud immigrant. I was born in Damascus, Syria. And my family immigrated to the United States when I was 10 years old in 1977. We settled in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And that's where most of my formative years were spent before I left to go to Temple University in Philadelphia. So I had a very interesting childhood and teenage life.
0: Speaking of that time, what made your family transition from Syria to come to America? What caused that?
1: Mostly opportunities for. I'm I'm one of seven children. I'm the only boy. I have six sisters, and my parents were incredibly wise than we give them credit for. They wanted all of us to have a better life and better opportunities, and felt immigrating to the U.S. It's the ultimate American dream. When you think back at that time, around ten years old, you said you
0: came over to the states. What'd it look like at dinner time around there? When seven kids get together
1: at the table, what's that look yeah, like? Yeah, interesting. Great question. Initially, it was, and I don't mind sharing this with you, initially lots of tears. My, my ongoing nightmare is walking into uh, fifth grade as a kid who didn't speak a single word of English for the few months of that fall of 1977, Joe. Lots of tears every day after school, loneliness, no friends. I was the, you know, the foreigner, uh, the outcast, picked last for every sporting event at recess, as you can imagine. So the early time, the early months of our, our move to the U.S., probably a lot more remorse than was wise. But today, I think my parents made the ultimate sacrifice but they also made the wisest of decisions to bring us here and have our lives spent here. Wow.
0: Thinking back then, like the loneliness, being picked last. Sometimes I know what that felt like when I was little, <laughs> uh, especially basketball. How's that? What does that do to a child when you have that sense of loneliness mm-hmm. and then uh, the, the, the sense of like you're the, the everyone's last pick and almost like it's not bullying, but it's more like you don't feel included, correct? Like, What's that do to a kid? Uh,
1: great observation, Joe. I mean, I think I was always the foreigner. I was always I was always trying to really hard to belong. And as a child, I think you begin to do whatever you can to establish that sense of belonging. And for years it was that struggle between my inner self and my outer self. I was a relatively good student, but there were days where I would act out just because I felt like as if acting out would in, would get me included in the cool kids conversation. So there was a lot of internal conflict between what I should do and what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was not always welcomed in the Hannah household. Uh, my parents did not believe in excuses. My father, once I really began to uh, master English, if I came home with an eighty-nine score on a test, he would say to me, What happened to the other eleven points? <laughs> um high high standards, high expectations. Um, but you're right, the first few years there was a, a conflict between what I what I was thinking, what I was doing, and how I was acting out. Um and I will I will tell you, if it weren't for some amazing teachers, I don't know what would have become of me. Uh and I I give them all the credit in the world for dealing with a kid who didn't speak English. Then a kid who might have been sort of acting out in order to um, establish a sense of belonging until I ultimately had a, a friend, now a friend, then a teacher, who was my sophomore year in high school theology teacher at Allentown Central Catholic, who pulled me to the side and said, you have limitless potential, kid. Stop acting like the class clown. Uh, and I will tell you, Joe, that was a moment that, today we refer to those moments as an aha moment. Mm-hmm. I resented him for several weeks because when he made that comment, I was finally feeling a sense of belonging. The cool kids were now accepting me. I was involved with clubs, athletics organizations, and you know, i I began to almost deny my immigrant roots which was the worst thing I could have done. Because if you forget your roots, you don't have no tree grows without its roots. But the gentleman's name was Father William Seifert. And to this day, he is still one of my favorite people on this planet, because I think he woke me up to what's important in life and what's not important in life. Wow,
0: thank you for sharing that. Can you remember the moment where you remember, like, one, I actually fit in, And two, I don't need to be the class clown to fit in, like taking the the father's advice. Do you remember the moment that switched over?
1: You know, that's a great question. And unfortunately, I have to say it probably didn't really click in until I got to college. I had good moments in high school, but always felt in the back of my head that if I don't continue to do what the cool kids do, I would regress and not be accepted. When I left Allentown and attended Temple University, that was a moment where I felt like I began to feel like I could be myself, and maybe the people who judge me didn't matter anymore. But it was until I became a college freshman that I not begin to see that the reality is um, you are who you are, and you need to either be proud of who you are, or you need to become something that you are proud of.
0: How liberating is it? Even me at 50 now, I still feel that at some point you're still trying to fit into a certain degree, maybe not as much as I did in the past, but how liberating is it when you accept yourself for who you are and the judgment of not generous feedback to the people who care about you that want to make you better, that's a gift. That feedback is a gift. You want to take that and bring it inside and and think about it and actually make positive changes. But the people that maybe aren't on the journey as you or maybe not your real friends that just want to say hateful things or just they don't judge you for who you are. That point, just how liberating is it when you accept yourself and then you don't listen to the noise, that negative feedback?
1: Yeah, you know, it's more liberating than I can verbalize, to be very honest with you. You get to a point in life where if you're not proud of who you are, or at least if you're not accepting, maybe maybe pride comes later. But if you're not accepting of who you are, where you come from, who your family is, you basically are fooling yourself. Forget about society. You're lying to yourself. And if you're lying to yourself, realistically, can you truly be a good person? And in, in going through those early days of just desperately wanting to fit in, you learn a lot of lessons that life has real interesting ways of sending you messages that the people you one time believed were the most critical people in your life are no longer important, not because they lack value, but they're no longer important in, you, in, in your life and in your in, and the journey you're on. And I think that's probably the most important part about being liberated. You're no longer judging yourself through their lens. Mm -hmm. which is not an easy thing to do for a teenager. And it's probably worse today than it was back when in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, only because of just the social media and I call it the revolution of not a single private moment in anybody's life. It's crazy. Um, So I can't imagine what teenagers, I mean, I watched my two children grow up and thank goodness they're both great people, but the pressures kids are under today. I don't think we adults ever really truly accept or have recognized how enormous the pressure is that kids are under today. Uh, it is so crazy. The pre- I can't even imagine growing up
0: with that always connected 365. Yep. Everything's on video. Everything has a picture. Everyone has a camera wherever you go. It's, uh, it's even something like with a party. Like I, I know kids that, that maybe didn't get invited to the cool kids party. But like on social media, they're posting pictures of that party all night long. And they just, not only did they feel left out when they knew they weren't invited, right. but that whole night, if they're on Instagram or Snapchat, or, they see the pictures of everything they're not included in, right? right. And it's like a, a, a negative that just keeps going for hours, you know? It's amazing what you have to put up with at 13, 14, Indeed. 15 years old. Indeed. If someone asked the 18-year-old version of Bashar what he wanted to do with his life or what he wanted to be when he grew up, what would he have said?
1: Pursue a career in education. And I really knew that then only for probably the reason I mentioned earlier, that I had some amazing teachers. One of them was my fifth grade teacher who gave up her lunch period every day to review flashcards with me Welsh. She could have been in the faculty teacher dining hall, dining room, eating with her colleagues. She would spend half of her lunch period every day reviewing flashcards with me. If it weren't for people like that, Joe, I don't think I would have ever completed high school. Wow.
0: So lucky you had someone like that in your life at that age. Indeed. Indeed. So how does a Temple grad, undergrad, uh, grad, grad school, Ph.D., How does a Temple grad from North Broad Street find his way up to Bloomsburg?
1: How's that happen? You know, that journey is probably, I don't think we have enough time to, but I'll encapsulate it quickly for you. You know, one of the things I learned at Temple, and I really truly for most of my life, including today, I still have an incredible understanding and empathy for people who don't belong. Uh, And it's because I didn't belong for many years. And in some ways, I may still not belong. And today, the 55-year version of me doesn't really spend his time or energy worrying about who I don't belong with. But I, I see it in I saw it in students at Temple. I saw it in the students I taught at Temple. And one of the things I really wanted to do is make a broader, larger impact on the future of education. And um, I have to tell you, Bloomsburg University is that place where I've been blessed with a team that has really embraced the idea that every student matters. Whether you come underprepared, overprepared, whether you are a black man from uh, North Philadelphia or a white female from the suburbs of Montgomery County or Bucks County, we have a mantra at Bloomsburg that, it's, a, it's the Husky family. And no matter who you are, what you look like, we want to make sure that we are meeting you where you are. And that, that philosophy is now permeating itself both to Lockhaven and Mansfield. And I will tell you, there's nothing that makes me prouder than to see a student who arrived at Bloomsburg with less preparation than we expect, walk across that stage as a college graduate, And go do incredible things with her or his life. You know, the value of a college education has been under attack for a good part of the last decade, if not longer. But it is still one of the most noteworthy chapters of any person's life. When you earn that degree, no one can ever take it away from you. Uh, People can say you don't deserve this promotion. People can say you don't deserve this. You don't deserve that. But when you have earned your college degree, no one can ever say to you, you didn't earn that because you have basically proven to yourself that you can. And it's still also one of the surest way for economic and social upward mobility. Certainly, it's an investment. And it's not a small investment. We at uh, Bloomsburg. Still have thirty-five percent of our students who are first-generation college students, wow. uh, meaning neither mom nor dad ever went to college. And you know, Joe, I have to tell you, one of the happiest days is graduation day, when you see parents come and they're literally weeping because their son or daughter is the first in multi-generational families that that has earned that college degree. You know, there there's nothing more gratifying. Than seeing students who some people may have charted off as not worthy, comparable to me, walk across the stage as a college graduate. And that's how a kid from North Philly, you know, temple made, cherry and white. Um, I bled cherry and white for 25 years. And now, you know, I bleed maroon and gold. And the reality is uh, making a difference is probably the best way to encapsulate why a kid from urban philadelphia found his way to bloomsburg pennsylvania wow well said thank you for sharing that quick story about my
0: bloomsburg experience i thought i was going to villanova my whole life my dad's a villanova grad his brothers just come from a family of villanova grads and thought i was going there and right around junior year my dad shows me all right you go to villanova this is the cost you go to bloomsburg this is the cost And I looked, I go, all right, I'll check it out. And then we went up there and walked on the campus. It is such a unique town. You go up there, it's a college town, flat Mm -hmm. out college town in the mountains. It's such an energy walking on that campus. And you mentioned that people were crying at graduation that they got their degree. Mm -hmm. I I cried when I had to leave. (laughs) I, I literally had tears in my eyes in route 80 driving home for the last time, clearing out the house and driving home. Like it was I met the greatest people, um, my college roommates. And I, I think it was nine of us. We lived in the Zern Hall, um, mm-hmm. fourth floor of the Zern. Uh, then we moved to this uh, house. We moved to a house, like nine of us. And there's like five of them I still text to and talk to all the time the greatest people. And then you mentioned that no one could take away the education they give you. Absolutely. But could you speak to also to the way you learn to interact with people and not say fit in, but like work as you enter this new community in the mountains, six, 10,000 people, whatever there, it's just, it's invaluable. Like I have, if I get along with people now, or I'm good in a crowd, it's because I went to Bloomsburg and it's what I learned there. Does that make sense?
1: It does. I mean, one of the things that we hear almost uniformly from hiring managers or graduate schools is that there are three things that uniquely identify a Husky grit, hard work, perseverance. Uh, And I think you basically just articulated that about your experience, Joe. Our students do not come from places of privilege, they come expecting to work hard. They come expecting to Climb, scratch, kick, claw, because a lot of them may not have had the opportunity to flourish uh, previously. And then ultimately, when they graduate, they don't take the first job or any job for granted. So they literally are what we hear from employers they're ready to hit the ground running. Uh, They don't need training. And most importantly, they don't need how to interact with other human beings. Mm -hmm. which is the best compliment anybody can give a university today because you and I both know there are lots of students out there who are incredibly bright, Mm -hmm. who, when you take them out of their comfort zone, they're really uncomfortable and sometimes incapable. And we don't, we never hear that about a husky. We actually hear the exact opposite, that we can throw them in any circumstance, in any situation, and they really flourish and shine because they've Learned how to adapt. They've learned how to communicate, and they've learned how to be a good human being. Yeah,
0: it's and too. This is probably a whole nother podcast. We might have to come back and do. I've met so many people that are book smart that mm-hmm. sixteen hundred mm-hmm. on their SATs, yep. and they were four O through college, four O through high school. They are lawyers. They're whatever yep. they are, CPAs. But you put them in a crowd, they lock up. Like the the people to people skills are just right. not there. Like book smarts does not mean engaging,
1: friendly, able to get along in a group. Oh, absolutely, Joe. I mean, I think your observation is spot on.
0: And the one thing I really learned from Bloom besides my my degree is just how to get along with people from all over three, four different states. They're all my roommates were from and just how to work through things, how to get along, how to, and just how to be involved in a community and be like an active member and how to grow together, the like-minded people together and grow. And I thought, I think that might be one of the greatest gifts I got from there, being able just to connect with people and you know partner with them as you're doing work and move projects
1: forward. Absolutely, I mean you know uh, regardless of of where we are, we're part of a community, and in order to be a productive, effective member of a community, you need to take your cues from that community and reciprocate. And I think you're you know that what you described happened to you at Bloomsburg is the norm. Um, certainly, there are students that require more attention than less attention, but the overwhelming majority of the students leave Bloomsburg well-prepared in every sense of the word as they move forward and either pursue uh, an advanced degree or enter the workforce. And when we do surveys a year after they graduate, Joe, and, uh, and ask them, what were the things that you now most appreciate about what you went through? And it's literally what you just mentioned. The internships, the interaction with faculty, the interaction with fellow students, group projects, navigating group projects when maybe three students out of five are doing all the work and then two out of the five need to be corrupt. Those are the things that actually are are a hallmark of what our students leave Husky Hill with and then they're able to succeed because very few circumstances they're going to be exposed to they had not encountered in one way or another. Absolutely. Moving on. So Commonwealth
0: University. Yes, sir. All right. So you could talk about, I see how Bloomsburg, Lock Haven, and Mansfield come together. We call now Commonwealth University. Could you speak to why that came about? What are the benefits and what's the, the genesis of that?
1: Sure. Our rural universities, Bloomsburg is part of the Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education. We are the only fully public system in PA. So we are basically, we're owned by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, for lack of a better term. Our more rural campuses have experienced a significant erosion of enrollment. And that's basically an outshoot or an artifact of the just the population trends within those communities. And the reason why Bloomsburg, Lock Haven and Mansfield were a, a relatively easy fit together is because we are within 100 miles of each other. So ultimately, the two major reasons why integration was, in my mind, a good idea is we allow the opportunities of Bloomsburg to be expanded to Mansfield and Lockhaven. Because as Mansfield and Lockhaven got smaller and smaller, as you can imagine, if you hit a certain level of tininess, you're not going to be able to offer every degree to every student on every campus. Mm-hmm. With the development of technology, instructional technology, we're actually able to double the number of majors that Mansfield students have access to and almost double the number of majors that Lockhaven students have access to. So expansion of opportunities was the number one goal of integration. And number two, ensuring affordability. And to be honest with you, this is one of the moments that are really difficult to talk about with a lot of people. If we have one philosophy professor that can do a wonderful job teaching and having students in person or on Zoom with him or her, it allows us to keep the tuition affordable for our students. The Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education has frozen tuition for four years in a row now. We have not raised a single dollar in tuition. Integration allows us to continue that process without having to raise tuition and make an education, a college education, unaffordable. Joe, it, it's important to point out here that about forty percent of our students at Mansfield and Lockhaven and Bloomsburg come from households whose income, total income, is less than seventy five thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So, if we're asking a family who is making seventy five k per year, to spend $20,000 on their child's education, how much more can they do if that tuition kept going up? We would basically make a college education unaffordable for many of our families. Uh, And these are families that we were created to serve. HASHI was created in 1983 to serve the lower and middle income families of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So affordability, was the second major opportunity. So expansion of opportunities, affordability, and then ultimately number three was to really expand best practices. If there are some amazing things happening at Lockhaven, we wanna expand them to Mansfield and Bloomsburg. If there are some great practices happening at Bloomsburg, you mentioned some of them. Making sure students can interact with every environment, making sure that we're doing that on all three campuses. And it's all under one leadership team. So it really is about expansion, affordability, and ensuring students leave us and are ready to be successful. Thanks for walking us through that.
0: Say sports-wise, everyone has their own baseball team. Everyone has their own football team.
1: Absolutely. Wow. Uh, Great insight. And I know how important athletics are to any campus environment. We worked with the NCAA every step of the way, informing them of our integration process and having an ongoing dialogue. So they approved us to maintain all athletic programs. Uh, on all three campuses as they existed before the integration, which was a huge, huge partnership with the NCAA. Because, you know, as you know, athletics is an important part, not only for the student athletes themselves, but also for the environment of the campus to have students be able to attend roommates, football games and roommates, baseball games or floor mates, you know, soccer games. Yeah two quick
0: things, just quick memories. One, in the fall, is there a prettier view than up at Nelson's Fieldhouse with the leaves turning on the mountains watching a football game?
1: I will tell you, you're biased, and I used to be. The view from any of the three campuses, uh, Mansfield and Lockhaven. Lockhaven has an amazing view of the Susquehanna River. I mean, with watching the trees turn every shade of of yellow and uh, reflecting off of the Susquehanna on a on a clear day is pretty remarkable too, Joe. So you have every right to be biased. And the views from Nelson Fieldhouse are unbeatable. Uh, But... I'm going to invite you back to campus and we're going to take, we're going to go to all three and then you can be the judge for yourself of which one is the prettiest.
0: That's great. I played uh one season of baseball up at Bloom and um, I played a fall ball and we played Lock Haven. I remember going on that campus, I think right before I struck out on three pitches. Um, <laughs> um, I remember how beautiful that campus was in the fall. Like you go there in the fall and it, it is a Lock Haven has a beautiful, it's in the middle of the mountains. It's a beautiful place. And uh And uh, a quick shout out to past guest of the show, head coach, Mike Collins, Bloomsburg University's head coach. What a stud that guy is, man. You got a great one there.
1: I will tell you, Mike Collins is the epitome of what it means to be uh, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, a confidant. Some of his players who graduated 10 years ago to this day, stay in touch and rely on him for being a father figure. Uh, He's an amazing human being. You know, he's a he's a great coach, but he's probably a better human being than than a coach. Uh, he's
0: got those back-to-back uh state titles and uh, Absolutely. He, gets us, he
1: gets the alumni together once a year. We
0: all get together for his 40-year plan and we we mentor the uh baseball team with job interviews and yeah. and, and resume and, and impressive group of people. Coach Mike's doing an awesome job.
1: Well, and and to your point earlier, I mean, I think this is this is what's really important about the Bloomsburg family. I, I refer to it as Husky Forever. You coming back on those nights to do mock interviews and resume reviews for the current baseball team is invaluable because when they're ready to leave and graduate, they will have had basically more reviews by professionals like you than anybody else who's competing for the same job from another university. And that's what makes a Husky education so special. Yeah. Touching
0: on the topic we covered a few moments ago about the cost of college yep. and like, Maybe comparing and contrasting the state school education to maybe mm-hmm. say a more expensive private school, where it's hard to say what would you know, what environment's great for everyone, but could you, like, what would be, how can I phrase this? Do you think it would be hard to justify, say you wanted to be a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Bloomsburg does that. A state, Any state school does that. Right. You want to be a teacher spending, you just said $20,000 a year to go mm-hmm. to a state school or you spend $75,000 a year right. to get the same degree. Yep. Yep. Can you see a benefit of spending that extra money? I struggle with, as a parent, I struggle with that, where if the state school has it, I'm so biased from my great experience at a state school, right. that I, I struggle, unless my kid wants to be senator or wants to be on the Supreme Court, I couldn't pay for Harvard or Yale. Like, unless that's your goal, you want to be a senator or speaker of the House, I can see why you want to go to Harvard or Yale, but if you want to be a teacher, an accountant, I can't see spending the extra 50 grand a year to go to the private school. I don't know. Prove me wrong or I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, are?
1: you know, it, it really, it really, there's not, there's, it's not to prove you wrong, but I think if you look at it from a pure economic perspective and a pure investment and return on investment, I think there are some degrees that I would be hard pressed to justify an, a, you know, a 60, $80,000 cost annually compared to us at Bloomsburg, Lockhaven, or Mansfield, where you can spend one-fourth of that. So in, in totality, your entire four-year education is one year at another private institution. You hit the nail on the head. I think education is one of those. All of the state schools in Pennsylvania, especially Bloom, Lockhaven, and Mansfield, we were founded as normal schools. So we were basically founded to train teachers. So our his- our history, our legacy is in the training the future teachers of Pennsylvania but every student's different and sometimes the family's economic situation is is different and what you and I would consider expensive some people may not and that's a family's you know value judgment that they have to make but there are absolutely professions that you cannot go wrong or even do better than bloomsburg lockhaven or mansfield degree you know I'll 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 share with you not just teachers nursing to a nursing student coming out of Bloomsburg, we have about a ninety-eight percent NCLEX pass rate, the licensing exam in nursing. And you're all gonna they're all gonna wind up being on the same floor at Geisinger, at Temple Hospital, at Penn or at Jefferson, making the same salary. Could I justify to myself spending four times as much for that same degree? Probably not, but for some families, it's not an issue. Almost every one of our students takes up some student loans out before they graduate. We're blessed that the average student is graduating with somewhere around only $32,000 of loans for their entire time at Bloomsburg, Joe. There are students leaving college with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. I don't know on what planet you can justify being in debt that deeply for just a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. Certainly, if you're going to medical school, if you're going to law school, your income potential, afford to pay back those loans. But at the bachelor's level, there are very few careers unless you're hitting your stride very early. Uh, You're going to be able to pay back those hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I think it has become a national crisis. And that's why there's this national debate whether or not loans should be forgiven or not. To your point earlier, there are some professions that one would have to, pure economics, Have a hard time struggling with justifying why you would pay eighty thousand when you can pay twenty thousand.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And I guess just one, the one caveat is obviously if if the family is with means and they could just cut the check, go anywhere you want, rock and roll. I mean that that totally makes sense. I I was meaning the kids that have to take debt out to be a nurse, to be a teacher, to be an accountant, where you could go to Bloomsburg, Lock Haven, Westchester, or somewhere like that, where it's a state school bill, and you're like you said, you're on the same floor. Like it's, it's like at work right now, granted, I'm decades out, but I'm with people that went to Dartmouth. It's an interesting uh, sociology experiment. Right? It like is. Where, where, no, uh,
1: I mean, you're, you you bring up such a really important topic because we have a retired, uh, an alum from Bloomsburg. I won't mention his name, but he uh, retired very successful. And I had lunch with him a few weeks ago. And he was telling me the story, basically exactly what you just said. You know, he, he went to Bloomsburg state school at the time he was paying less than $5,000 a year. And when he hit his stride, he was basically supervising and managing people that went to just about every Ivy League school. And he said, here I am, a kid from northeast Pennsylvania that basically went to Bloomsburg. And when they asked me where I went to college and I tell them, uh, 90, 90% of them don't even have never heard of Bloomsburg. But yet I'm the managing partner of a publicly traded company. So to your point, though, the education is an exemplar in what we can do. I can't imagine any young man or young lady borrowing to go to college and then having to pay back four times as much when you can make a d- different choice early on.
0: Uh, doing some research for this, before we move on in the interview process, you write a lot about your president's blog that you post. You got some really nice blog posts up on the website. You write a lot about leadership. And when I see you write about leadership, not too far either before or after that word leadership is the K word, kindness, mm-hmm. All right? What type of role do you think kindness, and use? It, these are two words that if you went back in the 80s or 90s, it, kindness and leadership are almost polar opposite. Like it was very declarative, authoritative, I'm in charge, very positional leadership.
1: What role do you think kindness plays in leadership? You know, thank you for asking that, Joe, because I think your observation about the 80s and the leaders, or at least the individuals we envision and heard talk about leadership, many of them, not all of them, many of them, I don't think you would use the word kindness to describe their leadership style. You know who's in, in charge and you know who's in control. And and I think the last two decades, in especially in our Western society, maybe the entire globe, I think we have become so polarized that if your opinion differs from mine, all of a sudden you no longer can be a colleague. I can't have conversations with you. You know, my my approach to life is, and maybe this is because I was an outsider looking in, and I always looked for people who were kind to me in some way, that we can have the most heated conversation, but we don't have to become unkind to each other. And honestly, at the end of the day, and this is going to kind of sound very cliche, we all breathe the same air, whether Mm -hmm. I'm the custodian or the garbage man who's picking up the garbage on a Friday night or the president of Bloomsburg University. We all deserve the same respect and dignity. Our job titles and our vocations should not define who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I'll share this with you. I every opportunity I have to talk to students I I share with them this call it philosophy, call it practice because I think the more the more we train our young people to grow up to be kind in whatever they do, as your grandmother might have said to you and my grandmother said to me, you get you're gonna you're gonna get a lot farther with sugar and honey than you are with salt and vinegar. And I think there's some truth to that.
0: Yeah. Here's a quote from one of your blogs that I really liked. I wrote down. It says, leadership does not need to be loud and kindness should never be interpreted as weakness. Lead quietly with kindness.
1: You know, thank you. Uh, I never thought I would have one of my quotes from a blog. (laughs) (laughs) Repeated by another successful professional. So I, I, I have to thank you for that, Joe. I, when I wrote that, I had just finished rereading one of Jack Welsh's books. And everybody, I think maybe young people don't know who Jack Welsh was. Jack Welsh was a phenomenal CEO. But I would not have used the word kind for Jack. I mean, he basically said every industry we're in, we're either number two, number one or number two, or we're getting out. And I just finished that book and I realized something that a lot of times... The people who we catalog as leaders tend to be incredibly the alpha in the room, the ones that are extroverts to the nth degree and talk a lot. And I actually thought about my own mother, who probably said less words in her lifetime than I think anybody I ever met. And to this day, there are moments she passed away five years ago. There are moments where I basically just reflect on some of the things she said. And she was one of the quietest people I've ever met. But sometimes you you reflect on your life, Joe. and you you realize that you don't have to be allowed to be impactful. And sometimes leading by example, is one of the most important things you can do especially when you're running a university where your most important set of stakeholders are under the age of 25 and following
0: your quote up with something you wrote about one of your blogs but you mentioned the alpha and like a strong leader Mm -hmm. and here's one of my favorite people. one of my favorite people from modern history uh, general colin powell he has a quote in his book it worked for me which is a phenomenal read General Colin Powell says, "You can never err by treating everyone in the building with respect, thoughtfulness, and a kind word." Mm-hmm. And this is a four-star general, Secretary of State, led yep. people in war, served and served in forward positions, and mm-hmm. coming from someone like that, that's it's hard to dispute. I mean, kindness and leadership—they're together, one in the same. Yeah. You need—you can't have one without the other. I don't think you could lead without being kind, and yeah, if, if you want to lead. Kindness has to be part of it.
1: Well, and Joe, I think you you hit the nail on the head in my mind. Realistically, leadership and management are two different things. Certainly, we can be put in a position where we're going to manage a situation or an office. But I would not confuse managing with leadership. And if you're just managing, that glass ceiling is probably not far from your forehead. Yep. Uh, But if you're leading and you're leading with integrity and character, um, you probably have potential to make a huge difference. And I think that's the difference between managing and leading.
0: Yeah, two two, two completely different things.
1: I don't want a manager. I take a leader any day.
0: Managers are a dime a dozen. Every store in America has a manager, but there's very few leaders. You know, there's very the leadership number is much lower. Yeah, thanks. Moving on, let's move on to part of the interview we call Share Your Secrets, yeah. so our listeners can get to know you a bit more as a person. Basar, looking back, of all the yeah. things we spoke about growing up in Syria, coming, moving over to America, taking over, going to Temple, coming to Bloomsburg, now leading Commonwealth University,
1: when you look back, what's the biggest challenge
0: you ever faced?
1: You know, I already mentioned it, Joe, in English. And and my parents having, you know, sort of a no-excuse household. Learning my dad said to us, if you learn English and become and and speak it the way native first generation tongue, if it was your mother tongue, there's nothing in this world you can't accomplish. And he was right. I mentioned some of the hardships. There there isn't a challenge beyond uprooting yourself from your homeland and coming to a country that's completely foreign to you and learning the language as if you were basically a three-year-old or a toddler.
0: Wow. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. How about, uh, moving on, be respectful of your time. How about with everything you have going on, when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do?
1: The easiest question of the day. I get in the car, I go to New York, and I watch my daughter play soccer. Awesome. Who does she play for? She plays for Hamilton College up in Clinton, New York. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And before she went to college, I'd get in the car and go to Virginia and watch my son run track or cross country. They are the, they're my world along with my wife. And, and when I need to basically re-stabilize and re, re-ground myself, they're the three people on this planet that treat me like dad and husband and friend and, and not a title. Uh, and they're, they're my world. Awesome. How about looking back over the last
0: two years, like the world shut down, COVID-19, it's just su- such an impact it had on the economy, on schools, hospitals. What lessons did you take from the COVID-19 shutdown?
1: How unprepared we are as a society. And I, I, I say that with complete respect and kindness and recognition. Everybody tried their best. But for a country like ours not to have enough ventilators, not to have enough personal protection equipment, when we really truly supply most of the rest of the world with vaccines, the rest of the world with medicine because we can, it was one of those moments where I felt like we learned more about third world countries and how they struggle every day because of this. So that was a profound moment for me, especially, I think because I have, I was born in a third world country mm-hmm. uh, and had experienced what it's like, you know, not to have 24 hour electricity and things like that. So it was really a surprise how underprepared we were as a society. Yeah.
0: As we get further and further from that, it's more remarkable when you look back to that, what we went through and with how unprepared. So so many aspects of our society were. Three quick questions here just sure, to wrap, every, wrap everything up. If you could have everyone listening, Dr. Hanna, take one lesson away from everything we discussed,
1: what would it be? Stay open-minded and be kind to each other.
0: Open-minded and kind. That's great. Two fun questions to wrap it up. First off, Doctor, if you could spend the day with any historical figure, alive or dead,
1: who would it be? Nelson Mandela. Really? How so? He's a man who was arrested, uh, imprisoned, but never forgot how to be kind, peaceful, and stay true to his convictions and his beliefs. And there aren't a lot of people in this world you can say that about.
0: It's so remarkable. He was in jail for like maybe 27 years or something like that. right? And um, he goes from prisoner to leader of the country. Crazy. I mean, unbelievable story. Awesome. Thanks for that. Last question. Sure. Dr. Hanna, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote
1: or motto say? Wow. Um, Can I have three? Absolutely. Good son. Good brother, good father. Awesome. Good son, good Good brother, brother, and good father.
0: Good father. Wow, that is, that sounds like something that you'd want in your, uh, you'd want to say, Someone to say at your funeral. You know what I mean, man? Can you you think of anything better?
1: Uh, Joe, I'll end with this. I think regardless of the career path we choose and regardless of the titles we accumulate, if your family remembers you as a bad son, a bad brother, a bad husband, and a bad father. We've done nothing in life. Wow,
0: that is fantastic. I think that is about as good as a spot as any to end. Dr. Basrahana, I'd like to thank you for joining us. It's been an honor to speak with you.
1: Joe, thank you for the opportunity. And it's been wonderful reconnecting with a Husky. Uh, As you know, you are a Husky for life. Absolutely. And I look forward to welcoming you back on campus.
0: Absolutely. If people are looking for you and Commonwealth University online, where can they find you? People want to, look, want to know more about the school.
1: BloomU.edu or Bashar B. Hannah at BloomU.edu.
0: Awesome. That's what we'll do. Dr. Hannah. I look forward to seeing you on campus. Shout out to my roommates from the Red House on Irony's Third Street. And uh, fourth floor Luzerne from back in the day. But Dr. Hanna, thank you for your time. Awesome to connect with you and wish you and Bloomsburg and Lockhaven and Mansfield nothing but the best.
1: All right. Thank you, sir. Have a great afternoon.
0: Hey, it's Joe Chicarone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please leave us a five star review. It goes a long way with connecting the podcast with more listeners. So if you could, I would really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Talk soon.